Hi everyone and welcome once again to Notes from COVID. My name is Laura and I'm talking to you from London. Today is September 19th, 2020. In the past few episodes, we have talked about the effects of COVID-19 in the business world. Not only how offices have to send their workforce home, but also how industries like the hospitality and entertainment ones were impacted. These were just a few of the many that have felt the effects of this pandemic. We all know that humans are not the only victims, but the economy itself has and is still suffering from this disease. The world has entered the largest global recession in history, and the repercussions of this will be felt in years to come. For today's episode, we will be talking about the economy with Francisco Córdoba Otalora. Francisco is an economist from the Universidad Colegio Mayor de Cundinamarca in Colombia, a master in policy and management from UCL in London, and founder of NAS Digital Banking. Francisco is a real globe trotter, and his work has taken him to all corners of the world, from India and Singapore to Germany and New Zealand. Francisco comes to share his holistic view of how the world's economy has and is currently being affected by the coronavirus pandemic. Welcome, Francisco. How are you? Thanks, Laura. Very excited to be here. Yeah, no, I'm very excited to have you here as well. Um, well, I did a little brief introduction about who you are so that people understand, but can you tell us a bit more about your journey in the world of economics, policy, and banking? So I have created different types of companies, specifically tech companies, but I've also been in gold mining as well. I have developed social businesses around the world. And the key thing is that it has allowed me to understand what are the trends. And in March in 2020, we analyzed and understood that the COVID will change everything. And we started to publish information. We published the first report in Colombia discussing about the implications of the economic dismay that we will have. And now it's happening. So that is the key part. Like our international experience developing businesses has given us a glimpse into the future. And now that's how we are preparing our customers and our partners into what is coming next. Wow. I mean, I'm really excited to talk to you because I don't know whether to be afraid or hopeful for what is to come, but we shall find out. Okay. Um, now, 2020 seemed like an exciting year when we were all celebrating January 1st. You know, the whole change of numbers is always a thrill. Uh, but where did you see the global economy back then, especially in the US, the EU and Latin America where you're based? I mean, January, it was still a brand new year. COVID was nothing that we knew about. How do you see the economy's health overall, basically? Uh, in that time, we already said that the global economy was getting into a recession. I was saying that since 2019, because I knew that this tremendous growth in the past decade was not sustainable. So the COVID was just the element that triggered that transformation. But even in January, what we published as our... Um, annual report, we said to people, prepare because an economic crash is coming. We didn't know, of course, about COVID, but we know that, that the global economy was in a heating process and it was going to explode. So the recommendation in that time, back in December 2019, was to prepare. But of course, we cannot, never thought about the possibility for restaurants, for discos, for any other place. That, that was not in our imagination. We just said, okay, the economy was going to crash, but not in this way that is going on. So that, that's that's the calculation. that we Can you give us a bit of background of, of what insights or what is it that you saw back even in 2019 
that you said for sure an, an economic recession is coming? So there are three elements. Number one is the growth of the U.S. economy. You have seen that everything goes in cycles and it has been a, a bull cycle since 2008. Mm -hmm. So the key was, okay, how long you can sustain this cycle? So it was logical that it was going to come from 2020 to 2022 mm -hmm. because that's that's part of the history. Mm -hmm. Second, when you analyze uh, the economic trends of China and Singapore and, and Japan and Korea, you see a diminishing in the numbers of imports and exports that you have. So that, that was an indicator that the global economy was not going as you will predict. And, and that, that was a warning. And the third element that we saw is that uh, when you analyze the prices of oil, gold, and all the other commodities, you understand that a lot of people were starting to buy a lot of gold before the crisis. So you said, okay, people are preparing, and specifically Russia. Mm -hmm. Russia and China were buying like tons of gold before the crisis. And, 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 and when you see these elements, you can find that same trend in Germany, but for the people. And normally this has worked in the past. So when you combine these three elements before the crisis, you said something is, is cooking in the street. We don't know what is it, but, but there are some elements there. It's kind of like that saying that we have, I'm pretty sure you have it in Colombia too, like uh, when the river sounds is because there's rocks in there. So True. this is me being like translating literal, uh, you know, uh, sayings uh, here. But okay, that, that, that is quite interesting. I mean, I would have never thought about the whole people buying gold, but of course, that is something that remains, like retains its value with time. So obviously you, you want to have it as something that's not going to devalue it, you know, should something happen. That's very interesting. Now, news of COVID-19 started surfacing right as the new year rolled in around mid-January. Now, these were limited cases to Wuhan. Did you think anything about it back then when the news started coming out of China, especially with, so, with that insight that you had before? Yeah, so uh, w when it came, I said, okay, this is complicated. And I didn't want it to talk publicly because of China's repercussions. You see that many of the people that are starting to talk early about this and saying, okay, this is going to expand, uh, they were bet by China and and. And I don't want that, you know, because I'm a global citizen. I want to be in any country around the world. But I started to analyze and see, okay, so the first, I will say 20 days, I track it very good. I analyze a lot of videos and I say, okay, this is very complicated. And what China should do is just to close all airports. And they didn't do that. And that was a complicated element. But I, I said, okay, let's just wait another month and see in February how they're handling the situation. But then when we find out that they didn't close the airports as they should do, that they just closed some elements, I said, okay, this is going to come to Colombia and this is going to be uh, very difficult for the economy. So in that time, we start to prepare ourselves. And because we develop technology and for financial technology companies, we start to tell them, okay, you have to start thinking about that. They didn't care. They didn't realize that. And it was very interesting because when it came in March, the, the lockdown, uh, people just believe it was just two weeks for the lockdown. And that's when we sent our first report and said, this is not two weeks, man. We calculated that the vaccine will come by uh, second quarter of 2021 in March. We calculated that. We, did, we didn't have a lot of data, but we calculated that. And we said, you have to prepare. The economy is going to uh, 
decreased by 7% in Colombia. And now the calculations say that um, they said that the unemployment will rise. I calculated 30%. The highest now we are in 20%. So it's, it's growing. So all, all the calculations that we made in, in February and were published in March, just when we were starting the lockdown, uh, are happening. And that's the thing that, that we have to think through in the future if we want to recover uh, this process. Yeah. So. Wow. Yeah. Scary stuff. <laughs> now. Wow, I, I'm so impressed that you you foresaw this. I mean, it's it's mind blowing because I I remember the first time that I read about COVID in China. I think it was like maybe 16 eh, sick people and maybe two deaths, and I'm like, oh, this is interesting. And then the next day, we're increasing, and I was like really following it. But and I I thought that this was gonna get huge, maybe not as huge as it did, but knowing like thinking that you in Colombia not only saw that, but saw numbers and, you know, this is going to go to hell. <laughs> it's impressive, impressive completely. Uh, now, Pacho, the first time that COVID hit the Western world was in Italy, where the disease killed more people that could be treated. As lockdown measures were implemented, could you anticipate what was coming to the Americas? And of course, you've kind of like hinted to that. But now that you have more data, how did this modify any predictions that you may have had in the past? Uh, the interesting thing is that my girlfriend, she's a doctor, and I bought everything for her. Like I bought her mask, uh, suits, gloves, everything. I went to all the places and I just bought, I still have a lot of the things that I bought because I said, okay, this could happen. If it happened to Italy, if it happened to Spain, for sure it could happen in Latin America. So even, even from a personal perspective, we start to prepare about that. And from our company perspective, we start to prepare uh, everything to go full remote. So as soon as we understood that the, that the cases were in Italy, we start to prepare about what was coming. Uh, and and that's, that's, that's how we handle the situation internally. And in terms of the economy, I, I just saw a gloomy situation because I didn't saw governments taking decisive things because when you check what germany did at the beginning of the crisis like uh 80 of the payroll for all companies that was amazing in colombia they took us three months after quarantine to decide just to put 25 to the payrolls so imagine this mm -hmm. i was very worried about the economic uh, government response in latin america and i have seen that that's that's been problematic Uh, it's going to get worse. It's not going to get better because things don't get better just because you want them or you wish for them. You have to act upon that. Yeah. And if you check, for example, Switzerland, in just two weeks, they give funding to more than 100,000 companies. In Colombia and in other places in Latin America, still after six months, we haven't found less than 10,000 companies. So that's the problem. In those places, they understood that they have to act fast. Here is similar bureaucratic processes. And that's what worried me about uh, what will be the policymaking process to solve the crisis. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because obviously you're, you're mentioning a lot of places in the Western world, you know, like Switzerland, Germany. I am based in the UK and here the government did uh, support small businesses. And there's the terms like furloughed, which... I mean, I guess it's very new to everybody around the world because uh, you never really knew that term until now. It's uh, like a massive thing. 
But I think it also has to do with uh, the resources that places like Latin America have. But we're going to touch upon that a bit further down the line, but it's great that you hinted to that because it's a really important thing about, you know, the economic situation globally. And now with that in mind, like there's always been a great debate with handling the pandemic, which is lives, saving lives versus businesses and the economy. So what would be, in your opinion, the best approach to handling such a difficult scenario? In terms of, of the of businesses, I believe that there are two elements that you need. Number one is that really companies need funding and, and you need cheap funding. That's the number one element. In Spain, where I live, they gave you in a 0% interest rate for two years. Imagine this. And in Latin America, even though they know they have to do this, they're not doing it. They're charging 15% on interest rate per year and the banks are not doing their job. So I see as a major problem, the lack of access to financing, especially for micro, small and medium enterprises. If we don't give them funding, but at a cheaper price, we will lose many millions of jobs more. Yeah. And and, and, and what, what do you think would be, because obviously there's a lot of people saying, Oh my God, the the president of X country because it it's been in many countries. They don't care about the people's lives. But on the other hand, if you lock down everything, maybe the the remedy is going to be worse than the disease in a sense. So how how do you think people? I mean, it's good what you mentioned about the interest rates being zero, for example. But is there any other measures that perhaps governments could take in order to to navigate that fine balance between, yes, we're preserving and taking care of our citizens health-wise, but also making sure that the economy sees the other day, basically. Yeah, you, you, you have to differentiate Europe and, and, and the Eastern world from Latin America. And in Latin America, the main problem is that informality levels are the highest in the world, just only compared with Africa. So you have... Uh, 70% informality rate in Mexico, 60% in Colombia, 65% in Peru. So this means that these are people that are not saving money for the future. They are not insured and they're not contributing to the pension system. So one of the big problems that you have here is how are you going to help them if they represent the large part of the economy? So uh, a lot of governments have tried just to give uh, $50 per month. Imagine that's, that's nothing. And the problem with that is that you're not taking into consideration that the, even for the public services and utilities, they're asking more, even, even the companies, they should reduce and lower the price of electricity of water and gas during this time. But we didn't do that. Just a few countries do that. So that's a big problem. Second, people that need to pay the rent, they are not doing anything about the rent and the rent is just there and they have to pay that and there is no support. So you need government support to pay your rent. And the third element is in terms of health. Uh, the point is that uh, if you are not allowing people to work or to or help them with the rent or help them with the utilities, you cannot tell them to stay at home because they will not do that. They, it's just a need. 
a lot of people don't understand that, especially in Europe, because you can have, you know, your unemployment insurance, and that's good. You are in poor law, and that's good. But if you just have the money for 10 days, and then you just need to work, you have, you will take risk for your family, for your kids. So governments need to really take a lot of money and use it. And one of the problems that we're seeing is that they're asking a lot of money to be used, but they're not using that money in the people. And that's a big problem that we have. Yeah, that's classic Latin America. You're asking for the money and then where is the money? <laughs> like we are not seeing the receipts basically. And, and you know, w with that point in mind, I mean, obviously with Latin America, you did mention the majority of the population is in the informal sector and they live day by day. They don't have savings and whatnot, but there's also the fact that there's a, uh, very few ICU units, so not as many as in the United States, for example, and whatnot. So how is it being handled there in the sense, I mean, obviously you're saying that the government is not giving the support that they have, but this is just a recipe for disaster because people are not able to stay home and then they get sick, but there's not enough resources in, in the hospitals to sustain the amount of people that are going to get sick. Yeah, one of the things that I miscalculate, I thought that it was going to happen similar to Italy and Spain, that the ICUs will collapse, and they didn't. In, in, in Colombia, they didn't collapse. We reached up to 92% of occupation rate, so it was good. Uh, do you see the case of Guayaquil in Ecuador and some places of Peru? But in general, the ICU system in a weird way, didn't collapse. And, 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 and my hypothesis about this is because most of the people are just dying at home and no one knows that they have COVID. So they don't have time to go to ICU. So, so we are solving the problem in a weird way because of our current healthcare system. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I was really, I was just going to ask you, why did you think that was the case? But yeah, uh, it would make sense that people are just dying and not making it to the ICU. Sure. Yeah. And it's happening because when even it happened, like I got in contact with someone that had COVID confirmed COVID. Mm -hmm. Okay. So in, in a daily basis, so I call, you know, the healthcare system and they say, okay, we're going to report this. And they call me, okay, how do you feel? And I have some uh, symptoms But then they call me like three times in a week and they say, okay, we're going to send you the test. At the end, one month later, they call me. Okay, how are you feeling, sir? Do you still have symptoms? But they didn't ask me for the test. So I felt like I was like Schrodinger's cat, that I had the COVID, but at the same time, I didn't have it because I knew that I was in contact with someone with COVID, but because I didn't have a test, I never knew if... If I got it, you know, yeah. so, and I, 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 unfortunately I, I always have good health, but imagine other people that don't have that same opportunity. And that's when you have people that don't have healthcare system that when they call, you don't have a good tracking of what they're doing, that when they call, they take a lot of time. They're taking, even when they send you the test, it's taking 15 days. Okay. So it's crazy. So at the end, a lot of people will just die at home will not go to hospitals and they will not go to ICUs. So ICUs will don't collapse. That's it. Wow. Do you think, I mean, considering the experience that you just described, uh, that numbers in Colombia and perhaps in the rest of Latin America are not really accurate because of the way uh, or the 
the lack of testing or the, the way that it's being tested right now, that it, it's so delayed and not prompt? Yeah, the problem is that you, you can see that even, even in Italy, even in France, that you have a million tests per week, which is incredible, uh, but that you can always have four or five times more infected than you have. Mm -hmm. That's because that's the limit that you have. And we did a great job, I have to recognize, to the National Institute of Health in Colombia that we increased from 115 tests per day to 50,000 tests per day wow. in, in, in a five-month period. So it was great. Like, we did a great job in that sense. The problem is that because they're not doing the second phase, which is tracing, we are failing on that. Mm -hmm. And that's the problem. Like I always say, let's take the example of Vietnam, mm -hmm. a great country, more than 80 million people live there in Vietnam, and they control COVID. Very few deaths, imagine. And they're just, you know, very close to China mm -hmm. because they really understood how to manage things. And you can always think in Vietnam and say, Vietnam, incredible, no? Yeah. You don't imagine about Vietnam. But Vietnam is more successful than New Zealand, is more successful than the Nordic countries, and, and it has less money. But the key thing of Vietnam is that they really implemented a tracking and tracing system. Yeah. We are not having that in Latin America. I can assure you that those people that call me didn't know who I got in contact because they didn't ask me. I don't have an app to tell them. They didn't know who I got in contact with. So they just like they do things because they have to, but they're not doing the things that we really need to. Yeah, that's that's incredible. And you know what? You actually got a little bit ahead of myself because I was going to ask you. Um, obviously, you have lived in several places, uh, including India and New Zealand. And what were your thoughts in particular about New Zealand's approach uh, to COVID? Because it's been set up as the example of this is how you should treat or deal with this coronavirus. But you're obviously also mentioning that Vietnam has even done better. Do you think there's a formula to deal with this? Yeah, the, uh, and I was reflecting when I was running uh, what I would do if I were a president. <laughs> and the key thing, yeah, uh, at the beginning, you should give a lot of money to the National Healthcare Institute to have what you call a, a prediction system. So you have to analyze what it's coming. If you have a prediction system in place, which you can use artificial intelligence, you in, in February, you can know and say, okay, this is coming to Colombia. And you, you can predict it because you can just check the number of flights that were coming from China and from Wuhan to Italy, and then the number of flights from Italy to Colombia, and then you will say, okay, I will close all the borders now, boom, because I have a data to support it. Yeah, you will have a lot of commotion, whatever, but in that way, you, t you, you have a prediction system, which you can install right now for future crisis. Second, when you understand that it's here, when you implemented the lockdowns, you should have great lockdowns. Latin America and Colombia specifically has the longest lockdown in all the world. Imagine five months of lockdown we had yeah. in, in Bogota specifically. And it didn't work. That, that's the funny thing. Because when they issue the first lockdown, they have 51 assumptions to the rule. So you can go to buy bread, you can go to work here, you can go to work there. So imagine you create a law, which is a lockdown, and then you just give a lot of possibilities to do whatever you want. That was a big mistake of the lockdown. 
Then the third element is when you're analyzing people's behavior, people really can, they can really do the lockdown, but for a month maximum, because they, they feel pressure and, and they can do the job. So when you check uh, New Zealand, when you check Vietnam, that's what they did. They closed borders very early on. Uh, they start with a lot of testing. So you prepare your healthcare system to have a lot of tests, like thousands of tests per day. You really do tracing and tracking, whatever is necessary to do tracing and tracking. And then you give all the elements to the healthcare system to understand who's getting in contact with. So in those elements, that's the formula. And so you have a prediction system. And when you have in place, you have to take big measures and, and very strong measures, not like, oh yeah, whatever. And just give you assumptions to do whatever you want. No, that's a stupid and that's a mistake. And then you communicate because one of the main problems that we have in Latin America is that we don't trust our politicians, which is true. You know, we yeah. have high levels of corruption. While in New Zealand or in Vietnam, you know, the prime minister Arden, she has great communication with people and she has been very honest about what is going on. So same you can see from Governor Cuomo in New York that every day he answered questions. It's not just reporting about COVID situation, but answering questions. Here you have presidents that are talking every day, but they don't answer questions. They just answer what they want to answer. And you have to be very honest because when people see honesty, people will say, okay, I can be in a lockdown because that can help us. So those are the formal elements that you need to really contain this. Yeah, I, I think you mentioned something really important because uh, transparency in, in these governments or these leaders is very important because then you, you can say that whatever they are trying to instate in whether it be a lockdown or wear a mask or any element, you can say that it's been thought enough to, I can rely on this measure to help me. Whereas if somebody is not being transparent about it, you don't really know what to take from their word and you decide to do whatever you want, really. So, which is not something that we need at this point in time. That's a great, great point. Now, I wanted to say, going back to the whole economy thing, um, it is said that the pandemic has caused the largest global recession in history, with more than a third of the population in lockdown simultaneously. How do we overcome this? So um, th this is going to be a trend. And the trend is a lot of companies and countries are promoting getting out of China. Mm -hmm. you know? So China is the main producer of the world. And now even Japan is paying companies to get out of China. The U.S. is paying companies to get out of China and in parts of Europe, they're doing the same. So this is a great opportunity for countries such as Latin America to say, OK, I can bring that industry that you have there. We are closer to you. You know, let's bring that industry here. So you, you should have people that are visionary and go to the U.S. and go to Japan and go to Europe and say, OK, let's just translate this from China to my country. I'm going to invest money in this process, okay? So the government has to put big funds to bring industries and make agreements with companies in the States, in North America, and in Europe. And that's a great opportunity to uh, develop the local industry. Second, you have to invest more in research and development. Remember that the top eight companies around the world are tech companies. 
-hmm. And the main thing is that all of them, they invest at least 25% of their income in research and development. I'll give you a comparison. Amazon's R&D revenue app, it's 10 times Colombia's investment in R&D. So one company is investing 10 times more than Colombia. So how do you expect to compete with Amazon? You compete by increasing 10 times your uh, budget on R&D and transform and translate these R&D developments to small companies so they can access to this knowledge and they can start to implement in a faster way because we really need to empower small companies with technology. And there's a great opportunity as well, is to transform the agricultural sector. We, we are still having the same agricultural practices as 400 years ago in most places in Latin America. So this is a great opportunity to use local technology. I'm talking local robotics, local IoT, local AI systems, you know, to transform the agricultural sector to produce more and we can to export around the world. So if you, so that is very simple. You need a lot of money, but put in R&D and then make a lot of international businesses with that. This will boost the local economies of the countries that do this. Remember, they will do the countries that do this. The countries that are just doing the same things that they did before the crisis, they will have more and more problems. Okay. Wow. I mean, it's really interesting that, you know, research and, and development, as you're saying, it's definitely the way forward. And it is a great chance to get that trend of like getting out of China to bring business to your own local economy if you want to get out of this one. Now, speaking of China, very controversial question here. This is something that maybe we don't have the answer to or we will never have it. Uh, but some people have observed how the Chinese economy has not really been affected by this and how economic centers like Beijing were not shut down like the rest of the world. What are your thoughts regarding these allegations? So uh, when, when you analyze the lockdowns in China, you see that during the first two months, they really have, uh, like the small companies were largely affected. But what the banks did in China is that they lent a lot of money to small businesses mm -hmm. because they understood and they, they knew because China is a very well-organized economy that you know how each business is performing. That's why you use, for example, WeChat and Alipay. And if every business is using WeChat and Alipay, you have all the information of the business. So they knew and said, okay, this business really has money for three months. Okay, I'm going to lend you that money automatically. Imagine that even without you asking for the money, I will give you the money so you can survive for these three months. And that's what they did. So they understood that they have to keep business with funding. And after they finish the lockdowns, they, 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 let's say they go back to usual, not as usual as we think and believe because we don't have access to the real data, but from the data that we have, that's the analysis that we can have. And, and right now, one of the strategies that China is doing is that they are increasing their local production so they can be self-sustainable in almost everything. They want to reduce the number of of imports. Mm -hmm. Actually, that's one of their strategies right now. So it's very difficult right now to sell to China new things. And, and that's part of their strategy to be self-sustainable 
to have a self-sustaining economy and everything they're doing is just to serve the Chinese population and they're buying a lot of companies around the world. So for example, Tencent, one of the largest tech companies, they wanted to buy MoneyGram in the States and the financial authority in the States didn't want that to happen for issues of you know, national security. But uh, China, Tencent invested in Nubank, which is the largest digital bank in Latin America, a bank in Brazil created by a Colombia, and, and they invest more than $400 million. So what they're doing, just investing in a lot of companies outside China. So that's how they are diversifying their money-making process compared to any other country around the world. So basically, in paper, for someone that doesn't have this intel, so to speak, it would seem that nothing happened in China. Why is it that everybody's locked down, but they're like smooth sailing, where in reality, the government just acted really quickly then when they saw this whole virus happening. And then when they got it kind of like under control, things could go, uh, quote unquote, back to normal. Interesting. So, but and, and, and I want to add that because you can see the way that they were very strict. And you can see that I have a lot of friends in China and in Hong Kong. When you go to China or Hong Kong, immediately they will trace you and track every move that you make and they will put cameras outside your apartment. So they will know how many times you get outside and you, they know how, who do you get contact with. So they're very extreme in that sense, but that's the way they control it. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I have personally never been to China. I did do a stop over there once and I was very impressed by they they take your temperature entering the country and if you have some slight I, I actually I was sent to a little room because apparently their system said that I had fever which I didn't but but it was very strange and then also in the passport machines you would enter your passport and the machine would talk back in the language and accent of your passport which was super Super bizarre. <laughs> but anyway, that's just the Chinese. Uh, now, I want to move a bit further into the future now, starting with the present scenario. So with the global pandemic, countries have been bleeding out cash left and right in order to make sure that nothing collapses immediately. Just what we were talking, you know, Germany giving money to the payroll, you know, China giving money to businesses, all these furlough schemes and whatnot. So obviously, where is that money coming from? What comes after? How are countries going to recover this money invested? And how long do you think it's going to take to recoup it? Yeah, I believe it will depend on each country. I'll give you the example of Norway. Norway, they have the largest wealth fund and government fund in the world. It's called the National Pension Fund in, in Norway. And the, and the great strategy, what they did in the 80s and they established the fund in 1990, was to put a lot of money from the proceeds of oil into this fund and then make this fund to invest in equities companies around the world so they own more than 3,000 companies around the world including apple and the big uh, pharma companies so right now they have a, a fund of one trillion dollars imagine one trillion dollars and then when the norway see this coming they say how much money do we need for the crisis oh we just need a small check of 30 billion okay just just bring that that's what we made last year mm -hmm. and they still have you know but so these type of countries they will boost after the crisis because they will prepare china the same 
You know, even Alaska, they have the Alaska fund is more like $50 billion. So it's incredible in Alaska. So the companies that they know how to prepare Germany, the UK, they have a lot of missed opportunities, <laughs> but st still uh, you, you, ha you have that, that reserves. And, and when you have reserves, it's not a problem. You can recover from yourself. Mm -hmm. But uh, if you check the example of the US, the US, they're just putting so much money that you don't know uh, if they can keep doing this, but they will keep doing this until something happened. We don't know in the US, but the problem is for Latin America, from some African countries that they don't have reserves, that they, they sell the gold when they didn't have to, that they sell the public companies when they didn't have to, you know, they didn't prepare for this. Mm -hmm. So those are the ones that is gonna get with a lot of debts, you know, and, and they gonna, at the end, in the future, they're just going to increase our taxes. That's the way the money that we're using today is going to recover. More taxes, but the problem is we will have more unemployment, less companies, less productivity, more taxes. So you will have civil unrest in many places in the world. That's a problem. That we have. Wow. It, it's not looking really nice and shiny in some countries then. Uh, and actually, in your experience, how do you visualize 2021 panning out? I mean, obviously, this, what you told us, might be a bit longer term, but in the immediate future, how do you visualize things coming out? Uh, 20, even though, of course, I think that a lot of economists and companies are paid only to say, okay, we will recover in 2021 just because we are going to recover. But that's not logic behind that. You have to put logic, you know, and the logic is, are you investing more money in businesses? Are you increasing R&D investing? Are, are you putting more money to small businesses? Are you doing those things or not? You know? If you're not doing those things, what we'll have in Latin America is that the crisis will continue, not in the same levels that we have right now we'll, and we'll finish the year, but still you will have millions of people unemployed. You have high levels of poverty in 2021. All the, the, the poverty levels that we have recovered in the past we will get lost in the next year. And that's a problem that we will have. So I see a gloomy scenario in 2021, unless we start changing our paradigms and changing our policies. But right now, we're not doing this. Give you an example. Germany, they're using 30 or 40% of their GDP to recover the economy. Latin America, countries, they want to use less than 10% of the GDP to recover the economy. So just think about that. Yeah. How if Germany that calculates and thinks for the future, they have to invest a lot of money to recover the economy, why here we're not doing the same? And that's the stupid thing. And I, that's what I, in 2021, I don't see any type of recovery per se. Yeah. Do you, do you think, I mean, obviously that was very focused on Latin America specifically. Uh, do, in the example of, let's say, Germany, that you said that they're investing 30 to 40% of their GDP, do you see 2021 being slightly different for them? Or, or is it just scratching the surface more or less? I will say that after we find the vaccine that I calculate at the end of this year, we will have the first vaccine that passed phase three trials. And you can start seeing the vaccine in Germany in the first quarter of 2021. So if, if all Germany receives the vaccine by June, 2021, 
then in the second semester of 2021 will be a good development for the economy. And that will happen to countries like the UK, like the US, but not to Latin America. Remember that yeah. we will receive the vaccines very far from now. And that's a problem because when you don't have the vaccine, you still have a psychological element that says, mm, I'm not going to travel. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do this, you know, because you're always afraid of the virus. And when you have the vaccine, at least you can say, okay, now we're not so afraid of the virus. And that's how people will start recovering more. So yeah, I will, I will see a, a positive outlook for, for these countries that are investing in the vaccine right now um, in, for a positive outlook in 2021. You would, you would say more in the second semester mostly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of like my thoughts as well. Now, Pacho, are there any particular industries that you see completely disappearing, at least as we know it, as a consequence of what has happened? No, I don't think any industry will disappear. I think is that it will happen something similar to 1980, 19, uh, 19 and 20, that you have a lot of changes in behaviors at the beginning, but then in 1921, For example, a lot of people went back to do similar things that they did in the past. And, but the problem will be to survive till now. So if you have a tourism company, if you have a hotel right now, you know that I don't want to be in your shoes. <laughs> I always say people, I will sell whatever I have at a restaurant, you know, because at the end, this, this industry, specifically the leisure industry, is going to be highly affected until 2021 then in 2022 you can start seeing a recovery so i'm not saying that this industry will disappear but you will see your favorite restaurants disappearing hotels in bankruptcy right now if you go all around colombia and bogota you see a lot of buildings that they're selling buildings imagine so they're just bidding for building and this is going to continue happening so i'm not thinking in disappearing industries but i'm thinking in It's going to be very hard for some industries, at least for one year and a half or two years more. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I, I think definitely hospitality industry. So restaurants, hotels, um, the travel, you know, tour, uh, airlines. Uh, some airlines, maybe not so much because they're backed by the government and every every country has like its flagship. But even still, any any competition Um, the entertainment industry, so, you know, concerts, discos, mm -hmm. the wedding industry, you know, like it's been, it, it's changed so much. So it's, it's but, but tough. The, the, the issue is like, it will be difficult. Like you will not have big weddings to in 2021, even in France or in Germany, in the UK, you just saw what happened in France. They organized a 75 people wedding. And now you have 17 people dead from that wedding. So it's not good to go to weddings, people. Yeah. Uh, uh, and, and the point is like, and, and you will have big concerts or, or big events in the second semester of 2021, like Coachella, like all these events, you can start seeing that. But in a year time, less than that, no, you will not have that. Happen. Yeah. So, so for example, the Tokyo Olympics, I will say that Most people will will not travel there from other countries. Will be just be more Asian mm -hmm. countries going to the Tokyo Olympics and everything. Everyone with their mask. Yeah. But yeah, I will say that by the Qatar 2022 uh, World Cup, then we will see a rebirth of everything, and everyone will will love to go to concerts and 
to entertainment, but only till that time. Let's hope. Let's hope. Pacho, this was all really insightful. Thank you so much for this. Uh, I'm, I'm very impressed and, and, you know, get a lot of information that I need to digest shortly, our listeners as well. But before we go, I want to ask you three rapid fire questions. So are you ready for them? Awesome. <laughs> cool. So the first one is COVID-19 in a word. Sucks. Sucks. Okay. I, I guess we can all agree on your word. Now, uh, what have you learned during this time? I have learned that many people, they need a crisis like this or, or a pandemic like this to understand that digitalization is the future. Oh, that's very, very true. And what is the first thing you'll do after this situation is over? Oh, I would love to go to Disney World. Oh, <laughs> that is so cute. Why Why Disney World? I, I don't know. I, I love to travel around the world, you know, but, but one of the key things is that I travel with my family. So I would love to repeat that with my parents that live in other cities, with my sisters that live in Germany. So it will be like a family reunion in a place that we, we went in the happiest place of years. earth of course exactly so imagine it's, it's a family place with you know new events new things that will be cool. yeah that's really cute now um, well thank you so much Pacho, for sharing your thoughts with us today um this was francisco cordova otalora discussing the economy during the pandemic this is your host laura make sure to rate us on apple Podcasts and follow us on instagram at notes from COVID to share your thoughts on the episodes And until next time, thank you so much. Thank you.